Well, you just had the privilege of hearing the entire Pacific West Baptist College student body uh, sing for you. We have seven full-time students, uh, one beautiful girl and six reasonable guys. <laughs> Naomi helps uh, keep those guys in line. She's like a sister to them. But we thank, we thank the Lord for uh, the privilege. Um, almost seven years ago now that we started the Bible College, and uh, it's, uh, it's, God's, um, it's God's baby. This coming fall, <clears throat> we uh, believe we're going to see um, three or four, maybe five new students at the college. That's going to be exciting. Already there's been some churches talk of taking the college on for monthly support. Uh, even just this helped feed the, uh, the students. And that's a ministry, you know, just feeding the, the students. One day you'll have the joy of knowing that you help to feed a future Christian leader. Uh, men and women who will continue to do uh, wonderful things for the Lord and you help keep them alive. That's good. Well, this year I've tried to bring um, a small series of messages on the subject of prayer. Messages that will help us all to become better prayer warriors. <clears throat> How many here wish they were better at prayer? Would you raise your hand? That's almost everyone. I think the truth is that no matter how good we seem to get in the prayer closet, we wish we could do better. We all know that prayer is a mighty privilege and it brings about the great power of God. Many have called it the greatest power on earth, prayer. I would, I would sure be thrilled to death if our church became very, very good at prayer. We became known as prayer warriors. You know, sometimes you, you wonder and you ask the question, what is it that changes a loser into a winner? What is it that will change a, a third class into a first class? Well, today I want to talk to you about the prayer that changed Jacob into Israel. The name Jacob, uh, he was named that because he, he grabbed his brother by the heel. And the Hebrew word means a heel grabber. And the idea of the heel grabber was a supplanter or a cheater. Try to, you know, trip up the other. And that was the origin of his name. So we had to bear this name for many, many years. But the day came, his name changed to Israel, which means a prince with God. And what was it that made that change? Well, we're going to look at that today. And I hope it's going to be a blessing to everyone. Let's bow for prayer first. Now, our Heavenly Father, we ask, please, that you would teach our hearts today and help us to learn something from this, this man, Jacob, uh, renamed Israel. And the whole nation today is named after him. Our Father, teach us the principles of, of, of the, uh, the change and the, the struggle and what's involved. Lord, I pray for those today that, that are trying to live for you and finding difficulty. Please encourage them with this message. Lord, have thine own way and teach our hearts through the scriptures today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's an interesting question. Why pray if it doesn't do any good? 
A lot of people have given up on prayer. Did you know that? And not just unsaved people, but some saved people have gotten so discouraged that they've stopped praying. They used to pray more, but not so much now because they feel it's not going to do any good. Well, I suppose if uh, we got right down to it, the reason we pray is in order to get things done, to see God do things. We pray because we believe that God can do what we cannot do. If we could do it ourselves, we'd do it, but we can't do it ourselves, so we ask God's help. That's why we pray. At least that's one of the main reasons why it is that we pray. But we know that God doesn't answer all prayers. He won't answer prayers that are sinful. He won't answer prayers that are selfish. Uh, but God will answer good prayers. So then we say, well, how do I know what is a good prayer? And the answer is, God knows what's a good prayer. You see, God knows perfectly well what you ought to be doing, what I ought to be doing. He has a perfect plan for your life and my life. And although we're all sinners saved by grace, that plan is a little different for each one of us. Each one of us, are, we're like individuals before God. Uh, just like the, they say the snowflakes are different. They, they say no two snowflakes are the same. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what I've read. They say that uh, no two sets of thumbprints, fingerprints are the same. I've read that too. I don't know. I imagine it's probably true, but I do know this, that every one of us is an individual before God. And God doesn't have a cookie cutter where he just, you know, stamps out a thousand of this and a million of that. Every one of us is uniquely made, fashioned and formed. You have a different set of needs than the person beside you. You have a, a different mental, emotional makeup than the person across the room from you. We're different that way. That's how God has made us. And because God made us that way, His plan for us is slightly different. Everyone has a slightly different purpose plan before God. And we need to find that plan. That's the thing. The greatest thing you can do in life is to find the will of God and do it. You can't do anything better than that. That is the best thing that you and I can do. Find the will of God and do it. And so God knows perfectly what needs to be done in your life and mine. And these are the prayers that he loves to answer. Because believe it, God loves to answer prayer. He really, really does. And we've got many, many promises in his, in his book. In the Old Testament, New Testament, how God delights to answer prayer. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Again and again we're told in the scriptures that we're to pray. Jesus came to earth to die for our sins, but before he did that, he taught us a lot in his three years of ministry, and he taught us a lot about prayer. And he taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven. And he taught us to ask and seek and knock. Oh, he taught us many things. Because God loves to answer prayer. We just got to find out what prayers he wants to answer. And it all has to do with his, his perfect will in our lives. And so therefore, find out what God wants you to do and pray that God will help you to do it. Now, I've got something I'm going to share with you at the end of this message. And it's a powerful secret. It's one of the most powerful secrets on getting prayer answered. And Jacob understood this. And in this passage today, of which we only read three verses, is the secret. So I'm going to share that with you as we get to the end of the message here. 
but um, in the meanwhile, I want to look at four or five important principles that'll help you and I day by day as we work and live our lives for the Lord. You have the, uh, the job that you have, and you live in the house that you live in, and you go to the school that you go to, yes, but are you sure it's exactly where God wants you to go to school, where he wants you to, to live, the job at which you are working? Is it the exact one? You see, often we say, well, I think so, I hope so, uh, I guess so, but we can know so, just like our salvation. You don't have to hope so and think so and wish it were this. And No, no, you can know so, because the Bible says you can know for sure that you're saved then on your way to heaven. Without any doubt, you can know that. And that's God's will for us to know that. And it's likewise God's will for us to know if we're in the, at the job He wants us to be at. If we're living in the house or going to the church He wants us to go to or attending the school or directing our, our lives in a career path that's pleasing to Him. Well, we're going to look at Jacob's life here and just a few lessons that we can learn from, from his life. Now, the story is that Jacob had spent the last 20 years or so with Laban, his uncle. That's where he met his, um, his wife. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, how Laban kind of tricked him and on the wedding night gave him his, the, the girl's sister rather than... Anyhow, it's, a, it's for another sermon, you know. Uh, we'll talk about that another time. But he ends up with two wives. Almost two for the price of one. Not so. He, uh, he was mad. Anyhow, um, he ended up with two wives, 12 children. 12 children. I, uh, that's a lot, they say. Huh? 12 kids. And God blessed him also with a lot of cattle. A man's wealth was measured by his cattle back then. And God blessed him a lot. Well, it was time for him to go back home. Problem is, 20 years ago, he burned his brother. I don't mean physically. I mean that he, uh, he got on his brother's bad side. Esau. And Esau vowed to kill him. Because Jacob got in there, and true to his name, he supplanted his brother. He cheated his brother out of the birthright and blessing. Now he's coming home. And on the way home, he learns news. His brother's coming to meet him with 400 angry warriors. Well, what do you think, Jacob thought? Uh-oh, the jig is up. I'm going to die. He's going to come and kill me. And that's the setting we have. And so, here in verse 24... Jacob was left alone. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now this is a very familiar story if you know anything about the Bible. It's a terrific story. And he ends up winning. He ends up uh, getting an answer to his prayer. And it's here that he gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. From the cheater to the prince with God. He was able to prevail with God. He went from being a third class loser to a first class winner. And it was through this prayer experience. This was the final touch. Now, a couple of things I'd like you to notice here. Number one, if you're a note taker, write this down. Jacob was left alone. Struggles are often lonely. That is so true. And maybe you feel that God is calling you to um, 
to be a, a missionary or full-time servant of God. Maybe you feel God is calling you to be a, a business person. Maybe God is calling you to, to do something uh, for Him. And you will find times of loneliness. Others won't understand, but you will. You'll go through those times of loneliness. Jacob did. And here, Jacob was the, uh, the leader of his household. And you know, leadership is sometimes lonely. That's very true of leadership. It's sometimes a, a lonely path to tread. And it's sort of designed that way. That's the way it seems to be, the nature of the beast. And perhaps you're feeling lonely in, in your struggle. Well, I'll tell you what. What a perfect opportunity to get alone with Jesus. Because that's essentially what we've got here. Jacob got alone with God. And the Bible scholars believe that that was Jesus that he got alone with there. You know, Jesus knows all about your struggles. He does. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I read a story about Abraham Lincoln, one of the most famous presidents of the United States. And uh, the presidents would often get requests for pardon from certain people who had committed offenses. And they would send, submit a letter requesting a pardon. And along with the letter would be a letter from an influential friend. And so this is common. Uh, with the president, he would get a request for a pardon from Joe Blow. And along with Joe Blow would be a a letter from the Secretary of Defense or from a senator or some, someone of renown that would come and stand with him. And one day, as Lincoln was receiving these letters asking for pardon, there came a letter across his desk from a soldier. And he was at requesting pardon and there was no accompanying letter. And Lincoln said to his aide, he said, Does this man have no friends? And the aide said, no, Mr. President, not one. And then Lincoln said, then I will be his friend. And you know, that's how Jesus looks upon you and I. There are times when you feel lonely in your struggle, all alone. And Jesus is looking for someone like you. He is the helper of the helpless. The strength of the, the powerless. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He's looking for lonely people who struggle. So, point number one, Jacob was left alone. Learn to go through your struggle with Jesus. Very important. Point number two, in the same verse, there wrestled a man with him. Now, victories are won through struggles. I hope we realize this, that um, some of us, you know, are ready to give up at the first sign of a struggle. That's sad. Because things don't come on silver platters. You know that Jesus doesn't offer silver platters? Do you know what I mean by silver platter? It's that, uh, that expression, like in the wealthy homes, they'd have a, a gorgeous platter made of silver, and they'd put little tea and crumpets and cakes on there, and they would come and offer them to the guests. Offered on a silver platter. And sometimes we think that the will of God is supposed to be given to us on a silver platter. And that everything that that we need to be doing in life should be given to us on a silver platter. And Jesus doesn't give silver platters. I'll tell you what, He gives wooden crosses. That's what He gives. And we need to get this idea out of our head that everything should come to us easy peasy. Because that's not the case. 
There is a place for struggle. Wrestle. That's what Jacob went through. We give up all too quickly before the blessings come. Christianity is a warfare. We're told that over and over in the New Testament. The man or woman who would dare do something for Jesus Christ assaults the devil's kingdom. And the devil doesn't take that lightly. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're trying to live your life for Jesus at school or at work or sometimes even in the home, and people are giving you a hard time for that, you wear it as a badge of honor. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Look at the persecution Jesus suffered. Not just at the end on the cross, that was the worst, but throughout his ministry. And time after time, they would have taken him and cast him off a hill and tried to, to kill him. Time and time again. We need to learn to lay hold on something by faith and not let go. They say great things happen when men and mountains meet together. Anything worthwhile requires a struggle. Some of us just actually plain need the struggle to form Christian character in us. We have an expression in English called a fat head. You've heard that. When someone gets so full of themselves and their ego and their pride that their head seems to swell. And we say, oh that man, that woman, they got a fat head. Well, I'll let you in a little secret. Adversity is the only diet that will reduce a fat head. Some of us need struggle and adversity just to lose weight in our heads and to trim down. There's a Scandinavian saying that the north wind made the Vikings. Think about that. When you set your, your goal to do the will of God and you think you, you know what it is, be prepared for times of loneliness and times of struggle. And also, be prepared to not quit, to not give up. You see in verse 24, number one, Jacob was left alone. Number two, and there wrestled a man with him. Number three, look at this, until the breaking of the day. You know, often the wrestle takes longer than we at first thought. We've been now seven years getting Pacific West Baptist College firmly established. We didn't think it would take seven years. It's taken seven years. It's like raising children though, isn't it? God's blessed you with a baby and you know you're in for 18 or 20 years of work. And if you work hard for your first 12 years, I think it helps make the next 8 or 10 years a little bit easier. I think. It's not always that way. But uh, an illustration of this might be uh, World War I. You know, World War I... Uh, this is what I've read because I missed that war. But World War I, uh, men were signing up by the tens of thousands because although it started in the fall, in September, they thought it would all be over by Christmas. Many of them, tens of thousands, even millions, signed up thinking, oh, this is going to be a great war. I'm going to get to go here into France or go overseas or something. I'm signing up. They thought it was going to be a great Fun experience. It's going to be over. We'll be back by Christmas. That's what they thought. World War I took four years and cost at least 10 million lives. Some estimates have put it to 16 million lives. Isn't that something? 
often we underestimate the cost of what something is, is going to, uh, to take. So be prepared in the will of God for your life. Be prepared to wrestle and struggle all night long. And you'll wrestle while others sleep. And you'll struggle while other people do nothing. The devil will try and get you so discouraged and get you to quit and to do something else. And the secret of success, write this down, is consistency of purpose. Consistency of purpose, I believe, is the secret of success. I have a poem that I, I, I learned when I was in Bible college. And it has stayed with me now all of these years. And it's been uh, 40 years at least. I'd like to read it for you. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Isn't that encouraging? And I've thought of that poem so many times down through the years. And I've read it over and over and over. I read about a man named Philip Patterson. And Philip Patterson was uh, old and his health was frail. But he decided he wanted to learn more about the Bible. And so this is what Philip Patterson decided to do. He decided to copy out a handwritten copy of the entire King James Bible. Now, many of you have read through the King James Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and hallelujah! Philip thought he would write it out. And he was weak and frail and old, and he started with a piece of paper and a pen. Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. That's where he started. He started in the beginning. Guess how long it took him? As long as the First World War. That's how long it took him. Four years. And I believe it was in 2013 that he finally completed this thing. An entire handwritten King James Bible in his own handwriting. He did it. Wow. He learned a few things about the Bible along the way as well. I thought that was a, just a great idea. There's a pastor. He's dead now in heaven. But... Um, his name was Criswell. W.A. Criswell. Back in 1946, he took over the, the pastorate of the First Baptist Church um, in uh, Fort Worth in Dallas. In Dallas. And uh, he decided that what he was going to do is preach the Bible through. He started at Genesis 1, verse 1. That's what he wanted to do, is preach the Bible through. So he started and uh, one year later, two years later, still working at it, three, four, five years later, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and he's still working his way through the Bible, preaching the Bible through, verse by verse. 
11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, 16 years, 17 years, 17 and a half years. And he finally got to Revelation 22. 17 and a half years. Wow. How many would have quit along the way? Well, truth of the matter is, it's going to take a little longer than what you initially thought. To reach the goal, you will struggle and wrestle maybe for days, weeks, months, or years. But it will cease. It will stop. One day the struggle will be all over. When? At God's appointed time. You see in the scripture here, it was God's will for Jacob to wrestle through the night, but not all through the following day. The wrestle came to an end at the break of day. Imagine if he had quit. Oh boy. What would have happened? What would have happened if Jacob had quit just before the break of day and then maybe turned around and gone back to Laban? He would never have become Israel. What would happen if Moses had a quit and gone back into the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep? What would have happened if Joshua had a quit and said, folks, this is too much. Let's just go back to Egypt. What would have happened if Jesus had quit and gone back to heaven? There's a, uh, a man, he was a writer and a photographer. His name was Jacob Rees. He died in 1914. And he wrote about the stonecutter. And I thought this was very good. Listen, he said, When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter, hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times, without as much as a crack showing in it. And yet, at the hundred and first blow, It'll split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all the hundred blows that went before it. Good encouragement not to quit. And I believe it that many people have quit five minutes before they would have gotten the victory. Even the woodpecker owes his success to the fact that he uses his head and he just keeps pecking away until he finishes the job. God didn't want Jacob to struggle all night, all night and all day just until the breaking of day. That was all. There will come a time when your struggle will end. There will come a time when victory will be sweet. And the sun will come out. You know, a good verse to write down is 2 Chronicles 31.21. 2 Chronicles 31.21. That's a good verse to write down. Because there it teaches us that Hezekiah, whatever he put his hand to, he did it with all his heart. And God prospered him. He did it with all his heart. And God prospered him. Some of my Tagalog friends here in the church have been working on me. to help me learn to speak some Tagalog and the latest one they got me working on is Magling Kotayo Sadios Ang Puso, which is supposed to mean, let's serve God with all our heart. So I think that that, uh, that Tagalog goes good with 2 Chronicles 31:21. Hezekiah, he prospered because he served the Lord with all his heart. Good message, folks. Let's not serve God with a half heart. You won't win. It won't do you any good. Um, 
If you're sure your goal is right, then struggle with all your might. You'll have times of loneliness. You'll have times of wrestling. You'll wrestle until the break of day. But point number four, and you'll love this one, in verse 25. It says, And when he saw that he prevailed not against them, this is the angel of the Lord, whom we believe to be the uh, pre-incarnate Christ, struggling against Jacob. So when the angel of the Lord here saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That must have been painful. And the point is, <laughs> there's sometimes high costs to reach your goal. There sometimes is. If you have a goal of raising your children for the Lord, by the time they're 18 or 20 or 22, 32, 42, by the time they're 52, but at some point, I'm just teasing a bit, but at some point, you want to see them living for the Lord with godliness and character, fulfilling the will of God for their lives. That's what we're supposed to want as parents. But the journey between here and there is not always a walk in the park. And there are times where you pull your hair out, times you want to pull their hair out. But we get through those times. And sometimes there's a cost to pay. Not always, always, but sometimes there, maybe often, I'm not sure. And in order to reach your goal of serving God, you may have a, a loss of physical comforts. You may have a loss of friends. You may suffer a loss financially. You may suffer uh, a loss of your health. You just look at any of the great servants in the Bible and many of the great servants of God down through the years. And many of them have paid a high cost in order to serve the Lord. When my wife was a younger girl, that's only two or three years ago, um, she went to college to be a librarian. Most of you don't know this, but she, that's why she went to college when she was a young girl, to be a librarian. And the teacher, the first day of class, stood up and said to the, all the students there, you want to be a librarian? Well, it's going to cost you your eyesight. If you don't wear glasses now, you will by the end of the course. That's what the teacher told. And she still went through the course. We have a dear Christian friend. He's a Jewish man named Ben Cohen. And time, once in a while, he'll, he'll come and visit our church. Uh, but uh, Brother Ben Cohen uh, is a Jewish man. He loves the Lord. Saved, born again. He tries to help other Jews to come to know Christ as Messiah. And I was talking with uh, Brother Cohen, and he told me that when a Jew receives Christ as Savior, it usually costs him his family relationship, and his, oftentimes, and his job as well. How about that? We're talking modern day. Talking about paying costs, Lincoln, I want to bring up him again, Abraham Lincoln. Some of us don't realize the costs that man paid. And he followed a path for his life that led to the White House and became the President of the United States. That was in the 19, sorry, 1860. But in 1831, 
30 years before he became president. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he was defeated for the legislature. In 1833, he had his second failure in business. In 1836, he suffered a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated for the position of Speaker of the House. In 1840, he was defeated for position of elector. In 1843, he was defeated for Congress. In 1848, he was defeated again for Congress. In 1855, he was defeated for the Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for Vice President. In 1858, again he was defeated for the Senate. And in 1860, he was finally elected President. 30 years, how about that? What kind of struggle have you been through? What sort of costs have you paid? Those are high costs. Would you pay the cost like that? You know, the church cost Jesus his life. That's what he paid. How much is your goal costing you? And I hope with all my heart that you have a godly goal, that you know God's will for your life. How much is that costing you? If you're floating through life on flowery beds of ease, something's not right. The devil's got you right where he wants you. But when you stand and take a, take a, a step back and and you do take a stand for Jesus, that's when the devil will begin to persecute you. And that's why some Christians won't take a stand for Jesus. Because they're afraid of persecution. But I'll let you in on a little secret. With the devil's persecution comes God's grace. With God's grace, my friend, you can you could walk through the gates of hell and back. With God's grace, you can do anything, anything, anything. You can end up in a fiery furnace and come out a hero. You could end up in a lion's den and come out a hero. You can cross the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground and come out heroes. The grace of God will keep you where the will of God leads you. And I hope with all my heart you know God's will for your life. If you don't, you need to come on the invitation today and get on your knees and pray, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? I'm doing certain things. I think they're fine. I think they're good. But God, is this your will for my life? Some Christians, they sit on the fence. They don't go this way, they don't go that way, they don't do anything, they just sit on the fence. Sometimes because they don't know what to do, they don't know any better. Sometimes it's because they're afraid of going this way or the other way, of making a mistake or getting hurt or whatever, but they're not doing anything. Come on the invitation today and say, God, what do you want me to do? You lead me. And you keep praying that until God shows you. He may not show you here at the altar. He may show you back in your home Maybe on Tuesday morning when you get up and you get alone with God with your Bible, that's when God may show you what He wants you to do. But just because God doesn't show you today on the invitation doesn't mean you should quit and give up. You should keep seeking God. Very important. When you set your goal, be prepared for times of loneliness with Jesus and times of struggle with what seem to be insurmountable odds. By the way, they said you can't start an independent, fundamental, Baptist hymn book singing, King James Bible preaching church in Surrey. It can't be done. You can't do that these days. That's what they said. Yeah, you'll die. You sing from the hymn book. If you don't have a worship band up here, if you don't have all those crazy things up there, if you don't preach from modern funny versions of the Bible, you'll die. Yeah, we've been dying a lot lately, haven't we? We've been dying so much that we're asking God for a bigger building so we could die some more. God knows how to bless His work. 
And when we do God's work, God's way, I believe we'll get God's grace and blessing. Amen? Amen. That's the way it ought to be. But be prepared and don't give up the struggle, even the costs involved in reaching your goal. And now very quickly, I want to give you the secret. The prayer that changed the cheater into the prince, Jacob into Israel. I want to give you the secret. Maybe it took Jacob all these years to figure it out, but he finally figured it out. And this is the secret before us here in chapter 32 of Genesis. We find it in verse 26. And he, that's the angel of the Lord, said, let me go. For the day breaketh. And he, that's Jacob, said, and by the way, take your pencil or pen and underline these words, okay? Underline these words in your Bible. If you're using a pew Bible, don't underline. Alright, that's not your Bible to underline. <coughs> I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. You say, what kind of a secret is that? Oh, my friend, that is a deep secret. There is tremendous truth here. If you have been wondering how you can really put a jet engine onto your prayer time with God, it's found here. A tremendous secret. Now, what we do often is we make the mistake of, of writing out on a paper what we think we should do and what we want to do. And we figure out what we think we should do in life. And then we show it to God and we ask Him to bless it. And that's one of our first mistakes. Well, God, the first thing I want to do is I want to get married. Uh, then I want to have some children. Four. And, but if you give five, I'll take that. I want to have a nice job with um, a nice house. Put that down. Let's see. Uh, oh, I want to live a nice, healthy life. And I want to retire in reasonable comfort. Don't have to be a millionaire. That's okay, but comfortable. And I want to die in an old age in my sleep. God, would you please bless this? Oh, God, would you please bless this? What a mistake we make. You know what we ought to do? Is we ought to hand God a blank piece of paper. And sign our name to it. Whatever you want. God, I'm giving you a blank check to draw on my life. This is how you find God's will for your life. You'll never find God's will for your life as long as you write down all what you think and then ask Him to bless it. You need to take a blank piece of paper and let God fill it in. Let God do it. That's what ended up happening with Jacob. And I'm going to show you. You see, he had the audacity... To go to God here in prayer. He wrestled all night. And he blatantly said. I will not let thee go. Except thou bless me. Well what was it that Jacob was asking God for? What was this blessing? Very simply. It's what God promised he would do. That's exactly it. Jacob wasn't asking for God to do something. That he didn't promise to do. Jacob wasn't asking for something outlandish. He was asking for God to fulfill his promise in his life. This is the secret, my friend. I'm going to show it to you. Now, keep your finger there in Genesis 32. I want you to go back, please, to Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, we have um, 
Jacob's mama. What's her name? Can't hear you. Rebecca. Uh, some of you didn't know. Doris. Now you do. And she's pregnant. She's great with child. And in uh, chapter 25, and uh, let me get to the right chapter myself here. There she is. And here in verse 23, now she was having trouble. She had this big struggle because she was great with, with two children. She was twins in her belly. And so she's asking the Lord, what's going on? Verse 23, the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. <gasps> Imagine that. Ladies, you went, you're pregnant you went to the doctor. The doctor did one of those, um, what do they call those things with the goo? They put the, the ultrasound, yeah, the syrup on the tummy and they got the thing, Right? And imagine if the doctor looked at you and said, you got two nations in your tummy. Well, this was the news told to Rebecca. And uh, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. That would be Esau stronger than uh, uh, Jacob. And the elder, that would be Esau, shall serve the younger, that would be Jacob. That was the first promise we have here that God made. All right, now go to chapter 29. Oh, sorry, 7, chapter 27. Chapter 27. And let's look now at verse 28. Here we have um, Jacob and Esau, and they're, they're growing up. And by the way, they're not little kids, by the way. They're not, you know, 18 or 20, 25. Jacob and Esau are uh, somewhere around 60 years of age at this point. All you got to do is the math. And uh, you'll find out that uh, they're around 60 years of age. And so uh, here Jacob now pretends to be Esau, and he runs in here. And here, look what happens. He gets Isaac, his father's blessing. Look at verse 28. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, the plenty of corn and wine. Let the people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed uh, be, every, be he that blesseth thee. And so here, Jacob was given again. This God, through his father, given again this great promise given to him. We don't stop there. We go to chapter 28. And in chapter 28, we find here, Jacob now is run away from home because Esau wants to kill him. And we come to verse 13. Jacob's laid down. He's having a dream. And he's got the dream of Jacob's ladder. Verse 13, 28 and 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee I will give it. And to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. There's God himself giving his promises again. We're not done, folks. Let's go to chapter 31. Chapter 31. And verse 11. Here at this time, Jacob is somewhere around 80 years of age, give or take. And he's talking to his, uh, his uh, uh, wife there. And uh, he says, um, 
uh, verse 11, And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle, or ring straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, and arise, get thee out of this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. There it is again, back to his promised land. We're not done yet. We're going to go to chapter 32. And in chapter 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, Return unto thy country, and I will enter thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. And uh, verse 12 as well. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Ladies and gentlemen, Based upon all these promises of God, Jacob finally had it together and he went to God. He would not leave God and he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. All these years now I've been waiting. You've promised. I'm waiting. You've promised. I'm waiting. I got it together. I understand it. I'm your chosen. This is the land you're going to give me. My brother is going to kill me tomorrow unless you intervene. I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. And based upon the promises of God himself, Jacob had that, that, that holy uh, gusto, if you will, to lay hold on God and not give up. Jacob wasn't asking for something wild and crazy. God, I haven't won the lotto. You know, in all these 10, 20 years, other people have won the lotto. Look, this man won 20 million. This man won 100 million dollars. What happens to me? I lose my money every week. I'm playing the lotto, playing the lotto. I want to win the lotto. I will not let thee go unless thou bless me to win at least 50 million on the lotto. You know, with that kind of mentality, he, he could have just, you know, jump off a cliff. It would be so much faster. You know, end this misery. Jacob wasn't asking God for something outlandish. He was asking God to fulfill his will. And when you know that God has called you to do something, say, how am I going to know? You're holding the answer right in your hand. As you study the scripture, God will make a scripture jump out at you. At our 9.30 prayer meeting... I shared this with our prayer warriors. Boy, I wish more of you would come at 9.30 to the prayer meeting. Every Sunday morning, 9.30, we could sure use more prayer warriors in there. You come and we all get on our knees together and we pray. We ask God's blessing on the service today. You know, it would be a good thing if we did that, folks. More of us got involved at the 9.30 prayer meeting. But uh, you will find, as, as you read through the scriptures, that certain ones will jump out at you. The Holy Spirit will make it happen. And when that happens, then what you do is you say, thank you, Lord, and you lay hold of that promise. Um, let me see if I can pull one out of thin air. And I can't. There was a man I knew, talked to him once on the phone. He's in heaven now. He died in his 90s. Great, great man of God. Used of God to finance missions around the world. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Early on in his career... And he was reading in the scriptures. I'm sorry, just one of these pre-senior moments that reference went out of my head. But where God made a promise that he said, I give thee power to get wealth. And he laid hold on that. Because the Holy Spirit made that verse jump off the page to him. And it applied exactly to his situation. He wanted to be used of God. And the verse just like jumped right down his throat. And he laid hold on that. He claimed that. And God fulfilled his promise. 
He himself lived a very modest life. He didn't lavish it up, live high on the hog. He lived a very modest Christian life, but he was able to be a channel of God, and he channeled millions, tens of millions of dollars toward missionary causes and did incredible things in his life. His name is Stanley Tam. You can look him up later. Great man. He wrote a book called God Owns My Business. But there's been so many, many of God's servants that have taken hold of the Scriptures. And that's what you want. And as you pour over the Scriptures and study them, God will make one jump out at you. Now you got it. As soon as you got it, you can go to God and say, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. You know, that one promise, that one principle of prayer is enough to change every life here today. The secret of prayer. The secret prayer that changed a loser into a winner. He finally got it together. It's God's promises. Not me. It's not what I want. It's what God wants. God makes the promise. I found it. I found the promise. A preacher I know of. He's dead now. He had a couple of daughters. One of his daughters was giving him a little bit of a hard time. And finally uh, she said, listen, if I do what you want, Dad, will you buy me a new dress? And he said, okay, I'll do that. He, she said, would you put it in writing? He said, okay, I will. And if, she, if my daughter does what I asked her to, I'll buy her a new dress. And okay, she had it. He signed it. He, she took it. And then I guess a few weeks later or something, she, she did what he had asked and accomplished it and said, uh, I'd like a new dress. And he said, what new dress? And she pulls out a piece of paper. Is that your signature? He looked at it. He bought her a new dress. That's how it works, folks. When we take God's promise and we, we point it back at God, we pray it back to God. That's how it's done. I believe that we've got eight new contact, unsaved people that our soul winners found yesterday as a result of the promise that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I believe that we've got living proof right there. And in fact, we've got living proof right here today. This church was started on a prayer 20 years ago. The prayer is still not done. But what about your life? Your prayer closet? Let's stand to our feet. It's time to seek the Lord, folks. It's time to come to God in prayer. I hope with all my heart that you have a hunger and a desire to know God's will for your life. That you've got a desire to find His will and do it greatest thing you can do. The devil's going to oppose you. That's why you need God's power. The power comes through prayer. The prayer comes from a promise. Lay hold on the promise today.